good garbage is no garbage at all. It's garbage that can be transformed into a new material that lives another day and can serve another purpose. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Good Garbage Podcast. My name is Veth Krishna. My primary reason for existence has been to find ways to leave our wonderful planet cleaner. We will be speaking with material innovators, creators and propagators to learn from them how we can build for scale and towards a regenerative future. Their stories will help us answer the big question, what is good garbage? Hello, hello. The country Guatemala has a special place in my heart as we have chosen to build a large compostable packaging factory there after exploring numerous locations. As it turns out, our guest on this episode grew up in Guatemala and eventually moved to Israel. Daniel Engelberg and me share this affinity and speak about it. UBQ or Ubiquitous Materials where she works is set to transform waste into valuable materials. They create pellets from mixed materials going into landfills. Truly remarkable. I definitely hope and root for their success as UBQ technology will definitely bring a big transformation and hopefully landfills will become a thing of the past. Listen and enjoy. Hello, hello. Today we have Daniela Engelberg, the digital marketing lead at UBQ Materials in Israel. Daniela, so happy to have you. Thank you for accepting a more of a last minute request and coming on. We were very excited to talk to UBQ and see the amazing things that you guys are doing. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. And of course, as we were talking just before we had hit record, our mutual love for Guatemala, yours probably more than mine. So I'm going to start with a quote that I've read numerous places that you've sort of said, I was born and raised in Guatemala, a beautiful multicultural country that some may call the land of volcanoes and eternal springtime. So, so you know, let's start right there. Talk to us about growing up in this beautiful country and things that impacted you that led to, you know, you choosing the path you're on today. Well, that's right, Ved. Um, Guatemala is such a beautiful country. And I was very surprised to hear that you're also exploring opportunities in Guatemala, but not so surprised because growing up in this country, I knew that it's a gem for natural resources and that its nature is amazing and it's a land of opportunities, really. However, throughout the decades growing up in Guatemala, I've also seen how these resources have been deteriorating. I grew up in the city, in Guatemala City, but with my family, we usually went on the weekends to the lake. And unfortunately, now the lake is polluted and we cannot go into the lake. So it is very near to my heart when when you see in your country these things that are happening. 95% of the rivers in Guatemala are contaminated. The landfills do not have a proper system. There is no recycling. So all of these things have gotten me to where I am now. But besides from that, I also come from a long line of textile enthusiasts. My grandfather founded a textile factory in Guatemala right after he arrived after the war. And throughout the years, I witnessed also the evolution of our family business of this textile mill. 
My father, who is a textile engineer, he started testing a post-industrial waste from local garment factories. And a few years later, we transitioned into a completely circular process where this waste became back into new fibers and new yarns and new fabrics. So having been through all that, also like through our family business and, and seeing what's happening in the country, I noticed also how the private sector can have a huge influence in the problems that we are facing today. So I think growing up in Guatemala, those are the main things that have gotten me to where I am today. And I don't know if there's uh, something from, from from these experiences that you also felt as you've been in Guatemala, I think, eight times you mentioned to me. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And your question is good because, yes, you are right. And probably part of the reason that we were so drawn to Guatemala is like in a way very similar to your experience. We felt this beautiful country and we felt that we could make a lot of impact there not just by way of investment, but also by way of service to the community, working with the society, of course, working towards, uh, you know, more ecological benefits as well. And of course, economic benefits as well. And I think the country we felt was ready for that sort of thing. We also found, and, and I'd love for you to hear your views, we also found the power of people like there were so many amazing people that we met in Guatemala and I think that was a big difference when we were choosing the country where we were going to invest so much of our time and effort and resources it was the beauty of the people that we met and I don't know what you think about that. Yes absolutely when I say it's also a land of opportunities it's not just the business opportunities but also the opportunities that you can have to make an impact and to help the communities the local communities that are so eager to be a part of something and to kind of move forward and be in and make a difference as well even though maybe they didn't have the same opportunities that we had because it's a country with a lot of poverty, but it's in Guatemala, definitely. I've also seen the local communities of women that are making a difference and of the private sector that is also involving these communities into their processes and into their innovations and really making a difference because as we know in the environmental sector, everything is connected. It is people, planet, and profit. And to really make an impact, you need to consider the, those three aspects for sure. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And I did find a lot of enthusiasm in the young people that they were really building something. The older people were also positive about change. And those were things that really influenced our decision. But let's get back to you. I can keep talking yeah. about Guatemala the entire episode. So, so I don't want to slip into that. So let's talk about you. How did the transition happen for you from Guatemala to Israel? And then what were the impacts that came with that, that again influenced your choices? Well, your question is very accurate now because somehow I can actually connect all the dots. You know, when things are happening you don't really notice, but then you look back and you can definitely see how you got to where you are. After graduating from high school, I moved to Israel, which is, I came from the land of volcanoes in, a, in the eternal springtime to the startup nation. And it was 
also a sea of opportunities and innovation hubs where I could have an impact. I wasn't still sure that I would have an impact in the environmental sector. I was just exploring opportunities in different startups. And I completed my BA in business administration. As a young adult, I didn't really know what I wanted. So I said, I'll play it safe and I'll study business. I minored in marketing and it turned out great. I did start to work with different startups that were innovating completely different things. They were all mind-blowing. But I did notice that what I, I understood that what I wanted, it was uh, in the environmental field. So that's when I quit my job and I completed my master's degree in environmental studies in Tel Aviv University. And in that master's, I... I learned too much. I couldn't ignore what was happening with the world. And one of the things that I, I learned a lot about in one of my research projects was the landfill problem in Guatemala. I always felt that having the opportunity to be in a country like Israel that is more advanced or that has more resources, I always felt the, the need to go back to my home country or at least explore what's happening there. And um, I learned that there are 1.2 million tons of waste that are sent to landfill each year in Guatemala. It's one main landfill. And that landfill is in the middle of Guatemala City. So it's a huge problem. The landfill is overflowing. It's not just affecting the environment, of course, but it's also affecting the 1,500 workers that live in the surrounding areas. They are completely exposed to, to dangers, to like threats of their health. There's been avalanches of waste. So the problem was very alarming as I was studying this. And not just that, but 70% of this waste was considered useless because of the high percentage of humidity since it's uh, comprised of mostly organic waste, like all of our household waste. If you do a zoom out and you see the municipal solid waste, it's mainly organics. And this is considered useless. And I say useless sarcastically because with UBQ, it no longer is true. There is no useless waste. So that's kind of where, where UBQ comes in. When I graduated from my master's, I started again looking for opportunities to grow my impact and UBQ was a gold mine. I remember in in my interview I had so many questions because I said there must be a catch like there must be something that I don't know this is too good to be true and it wasn't. So I immediately joined once I I learned more about the company and I I learned that it was a solution that already existed. And huge companies like McDonald's were already using it. And it was a completely circular solution that is a climate positive and actually doing something good for the environment. It was um, a no-brainer for me to join. Yeah, and that, I think, takes us very well towards UBQ. And, you know, let's talk a little more about the origins of the company and how it was formed and how this idea came to your founder and then how the whole technology evolved. And of course, I agree with you, you know, like as I am interviewing you, 
I'm also sort of, I also have many questions. Does this really work? You know, is this real? And, you know, because after having seen the video and team Alex having done a lot of research, we were both like, you know, hmm, you know, it'll be great to talk to Daniela and really understand how it works. But before we get into the technology side of it, it'll be good to know the origins and how it happened and how the company has evolved. Of course. So UBQ has been around since 2012. It was seven years in stealth mode. So a lot of R&D in our Selim facility. Selim is in the south of Israel. UBQ, after going through so much research and development, ha has created the first bio-based thermoplastic made entirely from unsorted household waste. So unsorted household waste means all organics and unrecyclable materials. So the dirty divers, the, the chicken bones, the pizza box with the melted cheese, everything that is supposed to end up in the landfill, UBQ takes it and converts it into a bio-based thermoplastic. How does the technology actually work? Because this seems too good to be real in the sense that all the landfills can manage then. I guess, over time. But then how does, because homogeneity as when you actually manufacture is so important, but here you're taking waste, which can be so much variations in kind of what they are, and you're converting it into pellets, which are, that's, that's what I assume that you're doing, which can then be used to create different materials. So how does it work? How do you homogenize or how you don't need to homogenize? I'm not saying that right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it. it's a great question and we <laughs> but, get this uh, yeah, question does, a lot. So UBQ takes exactly what you just said, a heterogeneous waste stream that is typically unrecyclable and includes everything I just mentioned and converts it into a homogeneous thermoplastic material, which is the UBQ material. So it's a great question how we do this. So UBQ is a physical process that sets off a chemical reaction. As we discussed, landfill waste is comprised of mostly organic waste. About 80% of municipal solid waste is organic. Basically, UBQ takes all of these organics and breaks them down into its basic particles, which is lignin, cellulose, fibers, and sugars. And these are reconstituted with the mixed plastics that are also in the waste stream. And as a result, there's a new, completely new and patented material that acts as bio-based thermoplastic. And this thermoplastic is used as a climate-positive substitute to mostly plastics, but also to research other research-depleting raw materials. So wood and oil-based plastics can be substituted in various applications from various industries with a climate-positive material. So brands and manufacturers with an easy material swap, which is UBQ, they can already reduce the environmental impact that they have. And since UBQ's applications can be implemented across industries and across applications, they can actually have an impact anywhere in their supply chain. So it can be in their logistics, it can be in their final products. We are working with PepsiCo, for example, and they are using shipping pallets made with UBQ, or they're also developing display stands made with UBQ. So you see that the impact these huge companies can have is across the supply chain, and it's sometimes uh, what we like to call invisible plastics. 
So it's when we think of plastics, we think of plastic straws or we think of plastic bags, but plastics are everywhere. Imagine all the pipes in a building. Those, those are made of plastic. Imagine if we could substitute all pipes in a city with a material that is made entirely from waste, unwanted waste, because what we take is, is waste that the recyclers don't want and can't recycle. That's also very important to note that we are a complementary solution to recycling. So, so if that is the case, say, say let's assume that whatever the waste is, UBQ can take it and convert it into something that is usable. Does that mean that all the landfills that are there, like we were talking about the central Guatemalan land dump or fill, would UBQ technology be able to take the material that has been lying there sometimes for years and then take it and convert it to something usable? Would that work? I'm not sure if that if that could happen. It probably could. But we are more focused that the amount of waste that is still being generated is so big that what we're trying to do right now is just to divert the waste that is continued to be generated. And once we are able to tackle that problem, I think we would move on to cleaning the existing landfills. But I think that's reaching a bit far right now. You know, it's like, the, the way that lakes have been cleaned around the world, first you need to stop all the effluents that are going into the lake before you see what is happening actually inside the lake. So that's kind of like what UBQ is trying to do is to stop all of the waste that is currently being generated to end up in incinerators and to end up in landfills. Once that is stopped, then maybe we can definitely like move forward and take the waste that is already in the landfills. That sounds like a smart direction to take. You're right. If, you, if you're not stopping the waste, then, you know, there'll never be an end to the landfill because it'll keep sort of yeah. one way or the other, it'll keep growing. So are you, try, are you saying that whatever material comes in uh, from the waste, UBQ will be able to transform it? But yeah, like my query to you is that anything that comes in would be converted to a value-added material it doesn't matter what comes in a hundred percent UPQ can convert the entire waste stream that's exactly what differentiates us from other similar companies that are doing bio-based materials we take absolutely everything in the waste stream except for metals and minerals which are taken out and sent to recycling but that's the only thing that is taken out and everything else absolutely everything else as I mentioned, the food, the garden trimmings, the mixed plastics that are considered, some of them already unrecyclable, products that have mixed materials, you know, like a milk cardboard that has cardboard and plastic or the peanut butter jar that has plastic and peanut butter. UBQ takes it all. And it's the only company doing that. Wow. I have to come and visit you very quickly. Yes. No, that's amazing. If you are, and you said like, early on that you also had these doubts and, you know, you were convinced uh, in the end that this is real. Yeah. I literally am, in a way, so excited about what you're saying. And if that is real, then it's only a matter of time that we stop taking, we, we actually uh, start making, converting um, our waste to a more value-added substance. So let's move to the product. So the product that you create by taking all this waste is eventually a pellet 
that can be converted to numerous things. So talk to us more about the product that is created and what are the things that can come out of that? We are working in various industries from building and construction to supply chain logistics, consumer goods, and even automotive. Um, in automotive, we're working with Mercedes-Benz. They've developed car parts with UBQ. And in supply chain and logistics, as I mentioned, PepsiCo is using shipping pallets. AB InBev is using crates. So any, any application between durable and semi-durable products is an application that UBQ can be implemented in by replacing a percentage of oil-based plastics in it. UBQ can replace up to 100% of the oil-based uh, resins that are used to make this product. And the percentage that is used from UBQ depends on the product characteristics that are needed. And when you say durable and semi-durables, is it only that, which basically means that they are heavier, thicker products? Or can the UBQ material also be used for, say, a thinner substrate, like a packaging material and things like that? Do you guys experiment with that as well? So we are experimenting everything, but currently it is just thicker products. Um, we do have some semi-durable, more flexible applications, uh, mostly like rubber, but thin, very thin, like packaging-like, it's still being developed. Um, hopefully that will also be a product that will be available soon. The, the range of products that already exist in these durable and semi-durable applications are limitless already. So there's a huge impact that UBQ can already have and is already having. Also, thanks to our huge partners that have such a, a, a large impact and are industry leaders. The impact of UBQ, if we will take a few steps back and put this into numbers, for every ton of UBQ that is used, 1.3 tons of waste are diverted from landfill or incinerators. And this is equal to up to 11.7 tons of CO2 equivalent emissions that are prevented. So imagine these brands that are using X amount of tons. The impact is huge and it's always scalable. This is a breakthrough substitute to plastic that is giving industries across the board the opportunity to just rethink the, the way that things are being made. The Good Garbage Podcast has been brought to you by PACA. PACA has been creating solutions in the food packaging, carry, and service space. PACA utilizes sugarcane residue and upcycles it into amazing products. Their latest offering is a compostable, flexible packaging solution for the chocolate and confectionery industry. The products are available in the Indian subcontinent and in North America now. PACA is also building an end-to-end -end solutions for customers in the food service and delivery space. For any query, do email at connect at PACA.com. And PACA is P-A-K-K-A. -A. Now, back to the show. If we look at uh, the final material that is being created, say, say we take, take uh, the crates that you were talking about, which is a good durable product, uh, it will have certain characteristics. And I guess in the end, it might also end in landfills. So, so is, is, is UBQ's material uh, infinitely 
possible to create into ubiq material again you know how does that work if, yes. like does that come into if it comes into the waste stream again which probably it will at some point how does that affect ubiq yes that's one of the questions that i asked one of the first questions that i asked in my interview with ubiq um and ubiq is indeed a highly recyclable material that can be looped back into the circular economy for reuse as you loop back any other uh, plastics into recycling and it is recyclable for more times than a general uh, conventional plastic and what is the size of the i guess uh, from from the from the video that i saw on ubiq i presume there is one site right now and what is the quantum of uh, material that you can handle now and uh, what is the plan to expand this because this seems like a miraculous technology you know the more we install it across the world the better it is and the faster we grow it the better it is so so you know what is the current size how much material can you guys process and uh, what is the plan for growth so we're really at an exciting at an exciting stage right now in our company where we're scaling up we currently have an operational facility in the south of israel that handles 7000 tons of ubq we are opening a new facility in the netherlands by the end of this year which will have the annual capacity of 80000 tons of ubq this is our first industrial scale facility and we do plan to be all over the world this facility in the netherlands will reuse the waste generated in surrounding areas utilizing local waste to fuel local materials production and hopefully also we will be able to expand in the in the world and have also the waste that is the material that is being shipped to clients also more localized and having a more environmental process and system and supply chain no that's superb i think more localization is always great but why the netherlands how did netherlands come about and why did you choose that so it was a great opportunity because as i mentioned we we are also diverting waste from incinerators um but also the the just the current situation in the country and the support from the government was also very helpful and the just the opportunity because we do dry and shred our waste before it is turned into the ubiq pallets that's also part of the process so everything the the circumstances in the netherlands were just ideal and the support that we got from the people there were also ideal just how you mentioned when you also moved to guatemala and saw opportunities there you saw opportunities in the people so it was the same thing for the netherlands we got a lot of support from different uh, from different entities that were needed to get this up and running and it's still a project that is uh, almost done and it's it's about to to be operational hopefully very soon amazing i'm sure it will be a big success uh, so uh, so and i would have my automatic assumption would have been grow in israel first finish all the waste that's going into the landfill and then go somewhere else but i presume there must be reasons and like you said it must be maybe government support it may be people support desire and of course netherlands is a very forward looking country and people and i i presume that was the case but i'm sure israel would want ubq you know to succeed there as well so yeah. that takes me well to the 
uh, side of costing and pricing. So, so in the end, uh, I'm sure there is a certain amount of cost that is incurred to create the material. How are you in terms of competing? And of course, I understand this still at kind of pilot scale, going to commercial scale, uh, but but I'm sure you guys are working out uh, the the cost structure and the pricing structure. So say in comparison to the materials that you're trying to replace or partially replace, it could be um, any kind of uh, poly-based material, petroleum-based material. Uh, How do you stand in terms of your cost structure and then, of course, uh, the pricing structure? Yeah, so as opposed to oil-based plastics, which come from a natural resource, and I'm not sure if you've seen lately how the oil prices are fluctuating and sometimes they are extremely high and sometimes they are extremely low. This directly affects the price of conventional oil-based resins. As opposed to that, UBQ is made entirely from waste. And waste, unfortunately, is an abundant resource. So we do have stability in our feedstock, which allows us to set the price and offer an environmentally viable solutions for all of these uh, brands and manufacturers that are looking to replace this, these, these materials without compromising the profitability of their business. So when we talk about, say, maybe we, we talk in comparison to, say, if a person was to use a petroleum-based material versus a finished UBQ material, would it be more expensive? Would it be less expensive? My assumption would be it would be less expensive because, like you said, the uh, waste is in abundance. It's a relatively free resource. But that said, I'm sure there is a process cost that comes in uh, to being, and that probably has a certain amount of energy, certain amount of effort to be able to convert. Uh, so what would the, will the final cost be much lower than a plastic? Similar? Higher? Where would that be? So because the prices of plastics fluctuate so much, it is very hard to to say if it's going to be lower or higher, but it is definitely competitive and it can be paired one-to-one with the price of plastics. But it definitely depends because the price of plastics is going up and going down and fluctuating all the time so sometimes it will be probably more expensive sometimes it will be way less expensive it definitely depends on what's going on on their side and the production and the and the what's happening with the oil supply okay so so let's look at uh, you know how ubq is growing so if you are to think about maybe five years or ten years from now what is the quantum of waste that you would like to be handling through UBQ technologies and I presume the way to grow for UBQ would be also to find ways to franchise the technology so that I guess it can spread more uh, and again that may be an assumption so you can you can you can tell me if that is the case uh, and uh, how how much waste do you guys think you would be able to create value out of in the next say 10 years? So I would like to answer your question but with the number of the material instead of the waste, because in the end, it's very important for us to communicate that we are a material company and not a waste management company. So as I mentioned, for every kilogram, it's uh, for every kilogram of, or for every ton of UBQ, it is 1.3 tons of waste, but we are expecting. So right now we have a capacity uh, that will be about 80,000 tons in the Netherlands. 
in the next five years, we're aiming to have about three to five new facilities with the capacity of 100,000 tons each. So I expect that we will be able to expand at a very accelerated rate and achieve these five facilities of 100,000 tons. But um, yeah, I would say that's an approximate number, but ideally this is where we want to be and we we want to grow our impact exponentially. And if in the next five years we have three new facilities, in the next 10 years we hope to have 10 new, flex, 10 new facilities or more. So we do expect to be scaling up at a accelerated rate and exponential rate. The Netherlands facility, as I mentioned, is the first industrial scale facility. After this is already up and running and it's operational, I think the following facilities will be kind of just a trickling effect and it will be a lot faster. And are you limited by the technology? Why you are limiting it to, say, 100,000? Or you think the technology will evolve to, say, a million tons, a single facility of a million tons? Because that's not that much when you consider waste. You can have a million tons of waste in a single city so in a year. So, so, so is there a limitation on technology or it's just uh, what is known right now? This is what is known right now. It's what we are working with in the Netherlands, 80,000 tons. So I think that if, if this amount works, it's easier just to build many facilities with this amount. And I'm hoping that in the next UBQ facility, we'll be able to handle more and more tons. But this is the approximation for the next five years, which is a calculation of 100,000 tons of UBQ per facility. And uh, what about the business model? You said, you know, like you guys would like to grow another three facilities in the next five years and maybe again, maybe another eight, ten facilities in the next ten years. But is the business model to keep creating your own facilities or do you want to find ways to even franchise and grow uh, more inorganically so that the, the, the quantum of UBQ materials is larger and the, obviously from our perspective, the waste handling is uh, better than what it is today? Yeah, well, right now, UBQ is opening its own UBQ facilities. Of course, we are finding, we are working with local people and with support from local organizations, local governments, everything that we may need. But we are always open to new opportunities and collaboration is extremely important to achieve what we have to achieve. It's it's very clear to us that collaboration means impact and What's most important for us is to grow our impact. The business model that is working for us right now is UBQ opening its own facilities, but we're always open to new opportunities and new collaborations. And it totally depends on the, on the circumstances for each facility. Every country is so different and every country requires... Some countries have landfills, some countries have incinerators, some governments are incredibly supportive, some governments are not so... It definitely depends on on the location, but we're always we're always looking forward to to new collaborations. Just like uh, expanding on on the impact and collaborating, it's just like the same that we are collaborating between industries right now. You know, to to grow our impact, or also like uh, considering industrial symbiosis to to merge the waste sector and the plastic industry. So it's extremely important for us to have different players supporting us and just having impact in different areas as well. 
Yeah, so let's, uh, that links as well to the side of consumption and the customer. Uh, what are the challenges that you face today in convincing a customer to buy the material? Because you do have great names there, Mercedes and Pepsi, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm sure there must be some kind of challenge there because if, um, you know, because otherwise the customer would say, no, produce more material and we will buy it all. And that would, of course, uh, in the end, finance uh, the plants as well. So what are the challenges that you see today and how do you plan to overcome those challenges? So we're working mainly B2B right now. We, we have started to be in retailers with the Remax, which is a Colombian company that has pet products in Home Depot. You can find them, for example, and they've already made products with UBQ. But, uh, for example, our collaborations uh, have been also mostly with Mercedes-Benz and with these other companies that I, I mentioned, Mineti, that they do garment hangers. So we've done mostly B2B. I would say that the, the challenge is lower right now, but a few years ago, it was uh, overcoming this disconnect between the sense of urgency that we feel in the application of more sustainable technologies and the perspective of the customer of, of our customers or uh, potential customers that they believe it might not be necessary to make this shift or that they still have time. But more than feeling a challenge with our customers, because I think we're in a different place right now in the world where companies are noticing that they have to change and that consumers are, are demanding more sustainable materials. So I feel that the greatest challenge more than with with uh, brands and manufacturers that we that we work with is the the slow pace of change for standards and policies to take place. So I think it's mainly that that has been a challenge in the in the industry in general because it is these these policies that can set a new standard and in not just like one industry, but across industries. So if if they would feel the same urgency, I think it would be a lot of easier for us to scale and implement our solution in a way faster pace. Because climate change is here and it's now and and it is the solutions are already here as well. So we just need the the scalability to happen in a faster pace. So considering that UBQ material is, uh, um, from the conversation we've had, is uh, is performing similar to, to a petroleum-based substrate or maybe even better, uh, and it is also price competitive in the sense that if the fuel price is average, then it's one is to one. So why is it that you need more government policy support? Because uh, so, so coming from a space of business and economics, in the end, if there is product that is performing well, uh, has the right pricing and does, a, does, does, does additional good, uh, why should it need policy support at all? Why not just be in the market and have the demand? What, what, why is it that you need policy support then? I think it opens eyes for many players in the industry, also for investors, also for potential clients that haven't looked at UBQ and that we also don't know about them. So there's always room for more opportunity. We are uh, already in the market and it is already a, 
um, a solution that is already being implemented by industry leaders, but it would just be something that would accelerate and open eyes to new players, such as the ones that I I mentioned, I mentioned investors and and new and new clients, but also just getting support in entering a new market, you know, from the local government as well. There's a uh, many different ways and to open a new facility, and you need the the collaboration of so many different entities. For sure. And waste is a difficult area. You know, it may look simple, but, you know, the management of waste, who's managing it, who's tipping it. Who's I think being from it. India, and you I'm know sure, yeah. how it can get very complicated, like in our countries. Oh my gosh, yeah. um, it is a very delicate subject. So definitely policies play a huge role. Yeah, definitely. I can totally understand you from a perspective of the input material. You will need policy support because typically, you know, there are so many laws that are governing and there are so many vested interests uh, that are governing waste. So, so you know, till you don't have policy saying that, yes, you will take your tipping truck and dump it at the uh, UBQ site instead of the landfill, nobody will do it. So yes, for sure. But from that perspective, I totally understand. But I think it's also yeah, not just yeah. the input material, but also our output material, the, like the material that we're actually selling. So I think that if there are policies of the amount of natural resources that you can use in making your products or, or the amount of, th- that there would be a minimum of bio-based material that you would have to use, this would just give like an extra push to also our existing customers and to just the other others that haven't even considered making such changes because we have everything. So it would be just a, like an extra encouragement to make a, a, a transformative shift. For sure. I agree with you. It does push people. And at least, like you said before, it opens people's eyes that, you know, this is something that is there and we need to work on it and you're right that uh, you know things are changing fast people are getting more aware and of course policy shift will enable that more and more what what are the applications forthcoming applications that you're most excited about what are the applications that ubq will put special focus on and make sure they grow because you know when you're talking about applications i'm thinking that the uh, possibilities are limitless even if you look at just crates you know, there'll be millions and millions of tons of crates that are built every year and disposed every year. When you look at vehicles, again, different parts are in, again, in, in maybe not a million tons, but, you know, 100,000 tons of certain certain sort of uh, fiber kind of uh, products. So, so are there certain applications that are going to be the focus for UBQ? And then... Uh, you know, what are those and how are you, how excited about, are, are you about the next developments? So UBQ, by the way, stands for ubiquitous. Like the problem of waste is ubiquitous, the solution is also ubiquitous. And the applications are limitless. But mainly the application that we would like to be focusing on is building and construction because the products are a broad range and it's like also a easy applicability and there's also great shift in green building happening around the world but we of course do not limit ourselves in any industry or any application we are just looking forward to anything that is made of plastic really so so yeah from consumer goods automotive and we are collaborating with new automotive brands 
there there are some uh, also compounders that we are working with and making new compounds with UBQ. So the applications are limitless. We 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 look forward to all of them. There's it's like a you don't have a favorite child, so you you can't have a favorite application. It's just anything that really can help us replace resource depleting raw materials in different industries and help brands and manufacturers lower their their environmental footprints and reduce their emissions and we can preserve our natural resources with an easy material swap in in any of the applications that you can think of like the idea of ubiquitous uh, you know so it's like in a way uh, application agnostic you know you you want a material and you can apply it to numerous materials and i hope that will uh, enable a lot of shift to happen in the coming times and that takes me to my final question which i'm always excited to hear what does good garbage mean to you well i think after speaking so much about about garbage and about UBQ, for the UBQ vision, which is a, a world without waste, good garbage is no garbage at all. Um, I mean, it's it's garbage that can be transformed into a new material that lives another day and can serve another purpose. So, bottom line, good garbage is no garbage at all. Super. That is definitely in line with our thinking as well. You know, there should be no garbage uh, for the and then you know the, the beauty of our planet keeps getting more and more restored uh, Daniela thank you so much uh, for taking your time for doing the work that you guys are doing at UBQ it means a lot to this planet and I uh, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us and giving us your insights thank you so much Ved and I'm really happy that you're helping us share our mission and hopefully that way we'll expand our impact as well Thank you for listening to the Good Garbage Podcast. Follow us on social media to never miss an episode. Links are in the description below. I'm your host, Vedh Krishna. See you next time.